This morning, we are continuing our series in Acts. Uh, we're in a series called Christ, His Church and His Cause. And this morning, we're going to be looking in Acts chapter 9, verses 32 to 43. Uh, so you can get your Bibles open to that. Uh, if you don't have a physical Bible with you, you can always download the Bible app um, onto your phone or your tablet um, and get it that way. And really in this series in Acts, we're, we're looking at in, in some ways part two of the Gospel of Luke. Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and Acts and we're following the story of the birth of the church. Um, you know, this there was this moment called Pentecost where the Holy Spirit filled the first followers of Jesus in a room in Jerusalem. Many people came to know him. And the good news and hope of Jesus is transforming lives in this moment. And as these new Christians begin to face opposition, they're forced to escape persecution from the religious authorities at the time. And in the scriptural reading today, Peter, one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus, is traveling to towns outside of Jerusalem, to areas that have maybe got more of a mixed Jewish and Gentile population. And so we're going to pick up the story there. We're going to read from chapter 9, verse 32. As Peter traveled around the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to meet him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them. And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Amen. You know, it's a pretty dramatic passage that we've just read. We, we see Peter visit these believers and the Lord uses him to heal someone who's been paralyzed, bedridden for years. Someone else who has been dead is raised to life. And as a result of these miracles, multitudes of people become Christians. And I believe Luke is highlighting these stories to show that the church of Jesus is continuing the mission on earth that he started to bring hope and healing to everyone. I went to a wedding about 10 years ago. It was one of the first weddings 
I've ever been to. And I was really chuffed to get an invitation, um, really excited for it. The ceremony was great. It was, you know, really sweet and really lovely. And uh, it got to the the end of the service and people were figuring out lifts and how to get to the reception. And so I was chatting to someone and they had space in their car and I hopped in with them. We're driving to the reception and we pull up to this beautiful hotel. Like it's it's stunning, the middle of the countryside and you know everyone goes inside and like everything's beautiful and ornate. You know, it's just such like a beautiful setup. People have got drinks and they're chatting and milling about. And I'm having a great time, really enjoying myself. And my mate says, oh, I'm just going to go and look at the seating plan and find out where we're sitting. I'm like, all right, cool. And then about 30 seconds later, he races back to me and just says, did you check your invite? I was like, uh, yeah, I think so. He said, your name is not on the seating plan. I was like, oh my goodness. Like, I've got to get out of here. And then there was an announcement like, ladies and gentlemen, the bride and groom are about to come. Like, let's get ready to greet them. And I'm thinking, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be in this room. The last thing I wanted was for them to clock me and be like, oh, hey, you're you're here. And, you know, imagine getting like a pity invite in that moment. I, I couldn't stand it. So I was just like, I've got to get out of here as fast as I can. You know, I'd been invited to some of the party, but not all of it. And maybe we can sometimes believe the same is true in our walk with Jesus. You know, when we talk about God's mission as it is in the Bible, like we've just read, you know, we see people coming to know Jesus. We're we're seeing the miraculous, unexplainable things happen. That can encourage us. That can fill us with faith. But maybe for some of us, it can all just feel a little bit out of reach. Maybe the type of things that we're reading about in here are you know, maybe they're only for a specific type of Christian who is particularly holy and special. Maybe they're on a platform of some kind. You know, that's that's for them, not for me. And in that moment, it can feel a bit like me at the wedding where we're seeing other people's names on the seating plan, but not ours. Maybe reading this scripture, we feel a bit removed from it. We think, well, do we see this sort of thing nowadays? Maybe it's a bit unsettling for us. You know, I don't know that we should be talking about, you know, healing and getting people's hopes up that maybe they're just going to be disappointed. I'm aware actually in this passage that we're talking about this woman being raised from the dead. Maybe for some of us, reading about these things brings up pain. There'll be people who've experienced grief and are still grieving the loss of a loved one. This story can actually feel painful. Maybe we've felt disappointment if our prayers seemed unanswered or the breakthrough moment that we were crying out for didn't happen. We have to recognize when we're looking at a scripture like this that it doesn't always go this way. We can be carrying real pain around some of these things. You know, for for us as Christians, we live in the tension of the now and the not yet of the kingdom, that we believe the kingdom of God in the future, there will be no more crying, there'll be no more pain. He will wipe away every tear. And we also know that we live in the present day where we do experience those things. And yet, as God's people, we get to see moments where that future kingdom breaks in to the here and now, and we see healings 
and amazing moves of God. You see, we also believe in a God who heals and who restores. So wherever you're at today, and please don't hear that I'm trying to minimize or belittle any pain that you might be feeling. You know, my own journey through some of these questions is I believe that God doesn't want us to feel fear around this stuff. It's okay to have a bit of wrestle. It's okay to have to journey with this, but he doesn't want us to feel afraid. And he doesn't want us to believe that this is only for certain people to partake in. I don't for one second believe that my journey, my wrestle with these questions invalidates my invitation to join in with what Jesus is doing. That invitation is still there for all of us. I think what Luke is doing when, when he tells us about these events is he's showing this beautiful picture of the church in action, one that's continuing the mission that Jesus started. It's bringing hope, it's bringing freedom, it's bringing healing and transformation to those who don't know Jesus. And we as the church are called to do the same. So no, no matter where we see ourselves, whether we're fired up and passionate reading about this, or whether we feel unsettled and unsure, I wanna say to you all that our name, each of our names is on the seating plan, that we are invited to the party. There is a full invitation from the Lord to join in in the ongoing mission of Jesus. We believe in this church, everyone gets to play. So we're invited to fully join in with Jesus' mission. What does that look like for us? We're gonna talk about three things today. Firstly, we join in with Jesus' mission with our posture. Um, part of my role in church is to make videos. So, um, you know, doing little promo things for uh, bits and pieces we're doing around the church or, you know, interviews with people, that kind of stuff. And one of the things I really love doing, if I get the chance, is just filming outside, um, just filming out and about. And I love particularly if, if I'm filming somebody and we can do a shot where they're like walking towards the camera and then I'm moving backwards as they're walking towards me. This probably doesn't sound particularly interesting to anyone, but I love it. I love that shot. I love how dynamic it feels and it feels like you're right there and they're just talking to you like that. Um, and it's great. It's, it's one of those things though, where you're doing this shot, they're speaking at you, and then you're backing away, keeping the same distance between you and them. And if you pull it off, it looks great, but it is flipping hard to do. You have to do this kind of back, it's actually called this, it's called the backwards ninja walk. That's what I've heard people <laughs> referring it to. It's this little shuffle on your feet like that, um, kind of like a budget moonwalk you have to do. And you're doing this, at the same time you're holding your camera, trying to keep them in frame as they're walking towards you, keeping the distance between you the same, so you're matching their pace. And the whole time you're walking backwards and you've no idea what's behind you. And so this is really difficult to pull off. You know. Often at best what happens is you, you film and then you take the footage home and you realize that it's so shaky because you're trying to do five things at once. And at worst, what happens is you fall over a lot. You just keep tripping over and it's pretty embarrassing. Sounds like it's a pretty hard thing to do. It is, it is tough. It sounds possible, but I just find often it doesn't go the way I hope. And so, I've seen all these videos where they have this amazing smooth footage where it's just like pulling, you know, you know, just everything's working perfectly. And I think, how do they do that? And apparently what you need 
is a spotter. Okay, so a spotter is someone who stands behind you and they kind of grab your jacket or whatever you're wearing and they just gently pull you in the direction that you need to go. Avoiding obstacles, they help you set the pace and they'll whisper if there's like, you know, a change in the terrain or if you're going uphill or something like that or there's an obstacle and they just work so, so well because they set out the path for you to follow. All you have to do is trust in them walking in the footsteps that they set out. And this is exactly what Peter is modeling to us in this moment. In these verses, we see him following Jesus' mission, walking closely in the footsteps that he's laid out. All throughout this passage, we see this so clearly. There's these echoes of Jesus and where his footsteps have been before. You know, when Jesus heals the paralyzed man who, you know, his friends make the hole in the roof and they lower him down, what does he say to him? He says, get up and take up your mat. And then here where Peter heals Aeneas, he says, get up and roll up your mat. Really similar what's going on there. He, when he prays for Dorcas or Tabitha, there are so many similarities to what Jesus does where he heals Jairus's daughter, where he raises her from the dead. Both times there are people surrounding them who are sent away. And then Jesus prays these words, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And in this moment, Peter uses the Aramaic name for Dorcas. He says, Tabitha. He says, Tabitha, get up, or Tabitha kum. So you've got Jesus saying, Talitha kum, and then Peter saying, Tabitha kum. It's like identical in Aramaic. They're basically saying the same thing. And what this shows us is not that, you know, if we want to see amazing things, things happen, if we want to see miracles that we need to, you know, find a formula in, in scripture and just be like, oh, what, what exactly did Jesus say word for word? And I'll just say that. That's not what this is about. That's not what's happening here. But there's a posture of dependence we see in Peter in these moments. He's fully relying on Jesus. In both occasions, we see this humility. As he prays for Aeneas, he says, Jesus Christ heals you, get up. With Tabitha, he gets down on his knees to pray before he says anything. You know, this isn't a man who has figured out the secret to the, the miraculous and, you know, wields this incredible power and is like, you know, wowing everyone. This is a man who would have been with Jesus in those moments when he healed, when he set free. He would have watched Jesus take Talitha by the hand and raise her back to life. He knows that Jesus is the one who does all this. And so this posture of Peter is one of dependence. It shows his humility. And I think for us, it's also an incredibly freeing model of what ministry looks like, of, of how to be the church and minister to others. You know, the aim isn't that we turn into superstars and swan about and, you know, healing people left and right and blow everyone away with how impressive we are. But it's about cultivating an attitude of dependence, of realizing, Lord, you're the only one with power here. And at the same time, recognizing that the Lord loves to use all of us in bringing his kingdom on earth. Everyone gets to play. We all get an invite to the party. I remember in 2012, um, I went on a, a discipleship gap year with a church. We went on a mission trip to Norway. 
and we were working with a local church there and there was this really sweet moment, amazing moment where there was this girl who'd been around, um, she was part of the church and been around some of the stuff that we were putting on and she had like a, a curved spine and she was just chatting with us and basically at one point just said, I would, I would love to get prayer for this. Um, I want to be a paramedic. Um, but I'm not actually able to to train to do that when I'm older because of my spine. Like they wouldn't they wouldn't allow me to train, and so we were like, yeah, of course we'll pray. And you know, from what I remember, it was a few of us just gathered round her, and we said something really simple, like in Jesus' name, uh, back be healed or something like that. And it was the most incredible thing because as we were praying, we just saw this spine that was curved like that just start to straighten up like that. It was absolutely amazing. It physically, we could just see her changing and and stretching and, you know, standing upright in front of us. It's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. And honestly, our faith level was just through the roof after that point. We were praying for anything that we could get our hands on. I remember there was this lad that was like 12 or something, and he twisted his ankle. And we were like, yes, let's pray, which is, you know, not the uh, reaction you should have if someone falls and hurts themselves. But I think he was healed as well, so it was all good. Um, But it was so exciting. And as exciting as a time as that was, I also remember how ordinary it all felt. You know, it felt like this penny drop moment of God wants to use me like a really ordinary person, nothing special. All we did was try and step out and pray for people in the way that we saw Jesus doing. It might feel like an intimidating thing, but Jesus himself says in scriptures, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only see, I only do what I see the Father doing. All of this comes from the Lord. It's about watching and waiting and seeing what he does and then stepping out. That's our model for ministry. It's really simple. Will we get it wrong? Yeah, we very most likely will. Will we have a 100% healing rate every time we pray for everyone? It's unlikely. But the more we step out, the more we pray, the more we will see happen. Jesus wants us as his church to continue his mission. You know what I realized? I'm really good at living my life where 90% of the time I'm only dependent on me. That's not what we're invited to. We're invited to more than that. When was the last time I was really, really dependent on Jesus in a moment? If we wanna see him do more, if we wanna see him use us as his hands and feet on earth to be his church, we need to be dependent on him. So we accept his invitation, we join in his mission with our posture. The second thing is we join in with our position. Uh, We recently had to take our car to the garage. Um, we, We got some tires changed and everything was fine, but then after a while, there was just like a slight kind of bump or, or wobble just as we were driving, just like really, really slight. I'm like, oh, that's a little bit odd. Road feels a little bit bumpy today. But what happened was as time went on, it got more and more severe and was happening on smooth roads. And after a while, it got to the point where we were like, oh, okay, there's definitely something not quite right here. Um, as uh, our kids in the backseat teeth were chattering the whole way on the journey. Um, in the end, we, we took it to the garage and it was a pretty straightforward fix, just getting some new tires. And do you know what? The difference was massive. And 
You know, to, if I'm being completely honest, we like lived with it for quite a while. And what I realized in that moment of getting it fixed was even in the in that short time, I'd got used to the bumpiness, you know, it had started to feel normal. I wouldn't notice it a few minutes into the drive, but once all the tires were sorted and in their correct position, the drive was so smooth. And I was like, oh yeah, this is what, this is what driving a car is supposed to feel like. You know, when the tires aren't fighting against the car, when they're in the right position, you can drive the car in the way it was made to be driven. Now, we're not cars, sorry to break that to you if you were under that impression, but in a sense, part of giving our lives to Jesus, surrendering to him, is allowing him to be in the driving seat of our lives. You know, that can be a process that we resist, you know, we can either be like that tire out of alignment, making our lives shake, and, and we can kind of just be doing things our own way, or we can embrace the place that God is calling us to operate out of, even if that feels uncomfortable. We can say yes to God's mission with our position. Have we placed ourselves where he wants us to be? And so looking at Peter in this passage that we've read today, where's he positioned himself? You know, this is a moment where Jesus' followers had been driven out of Jerusalem, where maybe things could have been comfortable, staying in a community of like-minded people, but, you know, they were persecuted and so they were spurred, they were kind of, you know, persecuted out of there and this spurred them on to go to the reaches of the surrounding areas and tell others about Jesus and to spread his word there. And so here we find Peter journeying away from Jerusalem, first to Lydda in an area with mixed Jewish and Gentile population, and then to Joppa, which was mostly Greek. But Peter isn't staying where it's necessarily the most comfortable, but he's moving forward with God's mission to where he's called to. My wife Hazel and I, we both work for the church and she used to be a teacher um, but had a, a history of being in church leadership in, in this church in Aberdeen before moving down to England to teach and so she'd been teaching in England for a few years when she really felt clearly God calling her into church leadership again and she just felt God was asking her to, to resign her job and so after some time and just feeling this way she was like that's what I need to do so it was January and she handed in her notice and she was gonna leave in July. And so what she did was she went to the church that she was part of at the time and, and asked, look, is, is there any way that I can serve? Um, I just wanna be around as much as possible. I'm, I'm happy to do anything. You know, I'm not looking for a platform here. Um, I just, just I wanna serve and just kind of soak it all up and be around your leaders. And the church said, look, hey, look, we've got no money to offer you. Um, you know, there's, there's no like, job here. She's like, that's totally fine. So, okay, we'll, we'll work something out on a voluntary basis. And so they started talking about what that could look like. And the plan was Hazel was just gonna get any job that she could to, to pay the bills and to allow her to serve as much as possible. So that was the plan. That was in January. May rolled on by and still there was no second job on the horizon. There was no real plan other than she knew that she was gonna be finishing in July. But she said she felt a real peace about the whole thing, even in amongst that. There was no panic. It was like, it's gonna be okay. And then out of the blue in May, our church called her and said, 
they'd had a team meeting and they discovered there was a bit of money and actually they were gonna offer her a part-time position, paid position as part of their team, which was amazing. And so she was asked to, to think and pray about that. Uh, out of nowhere that came. And then that same night, Taryn, our lead pastor, Taryn Freeland, phoned her and said, there was a leadership position at Catalyst and they felt it would be right for Hazel. Would she come up and check it out? And so after months of, of waiting and, and nothing seeming to happen, on the same day, these two job offers for church leadership positions land in her lap. And the next morning she, she prayed and then she went to Aberdeen and it turns out that was the right fit. You know, Hazel, in that moment of, of teaching, even though it was a, a good job and you know good money and you know she'd worked hard to get to that point, she felt the wobble. She felt the wobble of not being positioned where God wanted her to be. She knew it wasn't right. And you know, for us, I think we can feel this in the big and in the minuscule decisions of our lives. We can feel this in you know our, our job and you know the our relationships that we have in our lives and you know the, the church that we choose to put down roots and all these like big decisions and then we can find it as well in the minuscule everyday details. Is it our desire to try and discern where God wants us to be and what he wants us to do and to be obedient to his voice? When we do others are blessed and we're walking in step with him. We're not fighting it doesn't mean it'll be easy. It doesn't mean there'll be a gentle Sunday drive for the rest of our lives, but it is so much sweeter to live out our lives planted in his will than out of it. We're called to obedience. Peter knew this. He was obedient going to places that may not have been comfortable. Tabitha or Dorcas, she knew this. You know, she devoted herself to the service of some of the most vulnerable people in their society. And you can see the impact that she had, how God used her, how much those women loved her. What's your position today? Where is God calling you to be? I don't think we'll ever get tired of this word from Carol Wimber, uh, the wife of John Wimber, she did an interview from before the pandemic with some of the vineyard leaders. And in that interview, she talked about how she felt there was gonna be a disruptive moment coming really soon, where the Lord was calling everyone to get in their place. That none of us are like a generic tile on the wall that can be easily replaced, but actually all of us are a unique jigsaw piece. We are the only ones that can fit our shape of the jigsaw piece and fill in the puzzle. What does that look like for each of us? What position are we called to be in the body of Christ? Question we wanna ask ourselves today, friends, is am I being obedient? Is the tire in the right position? Jesus, I wanna do that. I don't. I don't want to resist. I don't want to battle against you. I don't want to fight against you. I want to be effective for you in whatever it is you're calling me to do. We're all different and whatever Jesus is calling us to, you know, will, will be unique to us. It'll be the same in the broad sense, but actually where Jesus wants us to be, that's going to be unique to each one of us.
So to embrace this invitation from the Lord to be on mission with him, with his church, we do it with our posture, with our position. And finally, we're just going to land on this. We do it for his purposes. We recently hung out, uh, our, my, my family recently hung out with another family from church and we took the kids to the park. And this family brought with them a water bottle rocket launcher, which I'd never seen before, but effectively you get a water bottle and you get like a wee bicycle pump and there's water fed into it somehow at the same time and it flies into the air and the kids were really excited. They're like, it's amazing, it goes higher than my house. And when he said that in my head, I thought, that's not very impressive. That's not that how, that's not that big. Houses aren't that tall. Um, I was not prepared for what happened when we went to the park and tried it out. Got the, got it all set up, started pumping it. This thing went off like a rocket, which is unsurprising, I suppose. But th the height that it reached was immense. Like I actually couldn't believe it. I was like, this thing's incredible. Like forget the kids, I'm having a great time. It's amazing. And I looked, I looked online afterwards, like these things go up to, I think it's 165 feet or something like that. Like it's so unbelievably high. I was genuinely gobsmacked because it went so far beyond my expectations. You know, for Peter in this scripture, I don't know what his expectation was going on this journey to visit these believers. But wow, wow. Outside even of these two amazing, miraculous moments, we see multitudes of people coming to know Jesus. We see in these towns amazing things happen. But even more amazing than that is where this story is going next. So throughout this scripture, Lucas almost left like a little trail of breadcrumbs for us to follow what's gonna happen next. The names, for example, Ananias and Dorcas aren't Jewish, but they're Greek names. Peter is starting to visit these areas that have more Gentiles than Jews in. Peter stays with Simon the Tanner, whose job it was to turn animal hides into leather. You know, someone who came into contact with certain dead animals was considered unclean by Jewish law. So what, what does all this mean? What is this pointing to? The message of Jesus is gonna spread. It is gonna spread far beyond the Jewish community. It is gonna spread to the Gentiles. And for Peter, a first century Jew, this was major, right? The Gentiles were unclean. We don't touch them, we don't go near them, we don't associate, associate ourselves with them at all. Like the gent, we keep our distance. And yet, even though that was the case, that the Jews couldn't associate with them and they were separate, God's plan was that the sacrifice of Jesus, his blood shed, would make us clean. All who called on his name would be saved and they wouldn't be unclean anymore. And so where Peter started with just seeing these two miracles and then seeing all of these people come to faith in these towns, we're soon going to see the spread of Jesus' message. And not just one person is going to be raised from the dead, but actually whole people groups, whole ethnicities, whole races are going to be exposed to the message of Jesus and they are going to be born again, new life in him. This is huge. This is bigger than Peter could have ever imagined. 
these people are no longer excluded. They're no longer outcasts, but they are adopted members of God's family. That's his plan. You see, God's purposes are bigger than we can know. He can take us like small, ordinary looking plastic wee bottles that don't look that impressive and rocket us to beyond what we could ask or imagine. The vision that we have for our lives, the things that we think are possible that we could see, God has got so much more in store for each one of us. And part of the joy of, of joining in with the mission of his church, with, with committing our lives to Jesus, with following him, with our posture and our position, within everything saying, I'm going to obey you, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. Part of the joy of that is seeing what he does with it. Seeing what he does with someone who is willing just to say yes to him. Because actually the plans that he has for us are bigger than we could ever understand. And so the invitation to each one of us is to step into the more of God. To posture and position ourselves before him and to surrender to his purposes and his plans. Amen.